I am Charlotte Jackson, and this is Game Changer, the podcast that empowers you to align with your true self, mind, body, and spirit, because that is where the magic happens. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a certified holistic coach, Reiki master, and EFT practitioner, and I'm a recovered crystal meth addict. And everything I share with you are things that have already helped me, things I've learned, or things I am learning along my journey. So welcome, and thank you so much for being here. It is my only wish that this episode finds the person that it is meant to find and empowers them to change their life. Hi angels, and welcome back to another episode of Game Changer. This weekend was a really, really special day for me. It was the weekend of the 9th of September, 9-9. It's so easy to remember. And the 9th of September is actually my official clean anniversary. So on the 9th of September, I was officially three years clean. And in order to celebrate this and kind of mark the occasion, I decided that I want to put together a three-part mini podcast series talking all things addiction. I want to share the story of how I became an addict and then the story of how I got clean and then finally what I've actually learned over the last three years since I've been clean. So today is part one of the series and I'm going to tell you everything about how I went from the person who genuinely detested and hated and had never tried drugs at the age of 29 to a crystal meth addict who was living in a crack den. It's pretty wild. So before I dive in, I just want to preface this by saying that I do not blame a single person for anything that happened to me. I'm going to be talking about a lot of relationships and people that I met that kind of had an influence perhaps on the path that I went down, but I really don't hold them responsible for anything that happened. Everything that happened was 100% down to me. And I think even when you're in situations where perhaps people are treating you in a certain way or they're taking advantage of you, it's more a reflection of what's actually going on with you. Because if you're allowing it and you're allowing these people into your life, that's on you, not them. So yes, of course, people can do awful things. And yes, of course, if you hadn't met that person, perhaps such and such might not have happened. However, if you were in a different place yourself, then you would never have met those people or allowed those people into your life in the first place. So I do just want to say that before I get stuck into everything and just say that I genuinely take full responsibility for everything that happened to me and I do not blame anyone I do not hold a grudge against anyone this is genuinely just the story of what happened there is no blame or anything like that there's no pointing fingers it is just the story I also love this quote that I've heard so many times before that is one day you'll tell the story of what you went through and it will become somebody else's survival guide. And I love that quote so much. And that is genuinely one of the main reasons that I constantly share my story with anybody who will listen because there is so much power in sharing things that you've gone through with other people. And I think when people hear of the things that someone else has gone through, it really can inspire them to change their lives. It can fill them with hope and show them that there is actually another way and that there is a way out of what they might be experiencing or what their loved ones might be experiencing. So I really hope that through this three-part series, somebody out there 
here's what I have to say and it just hits home and it's the thing that they needed to hear. So without further ado, let's get stuck right in. My story starts in 2015. I'm living in Australia where I'd lived for about five years at this point and I was living with my fiance. We'd just very recently gotten engaged and I was starting to, I guess, have doubts about the relationship and whether or not this was the person that I saw myself with forever. So we ended up breaking up and bear in mind that I was on the other side of the world from my friends and my family. So I didn't really have a full support network at this point in my life and everything changed at once. And human beings, I think, we do not like change. We love consistency. We love routine. We love just life being nice and settled. And I completely unsettled myself. So not only had I just broken up with my fiance of five years, which is massive in itself, that is huge on its own, but I also found that I didn't have a built-in support network. So I think had I been in the UK and gone through something like a breakup with my fiance, the first thing I would have done is reach out to my parents and say, oh my God, we've broken up. I don't know what to do. And I know without even thinking about it, that they would have said, move home. And I would have moved home, got myself back up on my feet and then moved back out again. But in Australia, I didn't have that luxury. I had to just get up and go straight away. So I moved in with someone who I found on a flatmate finders type website and through reasons outside of my control, I ended up moving out of there and then I moved in with another friend and then I moved in with another friend. So I think within the space of about four months, I moved about four times. Moving is also incredibly stressful. So first we've got the breakup and then we've got constantly moving house. Two things, quite a lot to go through. Then we also have the fact that I genuinely don't know how to be alone at this point. I really, really don't. I'm really struggling with being alone. So I start dating immediately and I meet someone and we start this really intense relationship. Almost, I think, within a month of me breaking up with my fiance was I seeing someone else. And then there's all the little things as well. So the car that I used to drive when I was with my fiance was his car. So when we broke up, the car went back to him, obviously. And then my 20 minute drive to work suddenly became a one hour commute on the train. There was just all these tiny little factors. I couldn't go to the gym really easily anymore because it wasn't walking distance. I had to drive there and I could no longer drive. I could get a bus and it took another two hours. And it was just all these tiny little things that were actually really quite unenjoyable and stressful and adding to the stress of the grief of the breakup. And then I'm moving house. And then during this time, I got gastro. So for those of you, I think that might be an Australian expression, basically the stomach flu. So I was very sick with that as well. And I just felt like, ugh, like everything is wrong. I'd lost my pets. I'd lost my partner. I'd, lo- I'd lost our life. Everything was upside down and I was just not handling it well at all. I was heading straight in the direction of having a nervous breakdown and I was really, really struggling. So I went to the doctor because I had gastro and the doctor said to me, why are you so upset? Because I just couldn't stop crying. And he said, look, if you're still feeling like this within a week, just come back and I'll help you. So I went back and he prescribed me antidepressants. Now, 
I'm not anti-medication. However, I have to say that I don't think that this is what I needed. I think what I really needed in this moment was to be referred to therapy and to talk through what I was experiencing and learn how to deal with the emotions that I was experiencing, which I did not know how to deal with. But instead, I went on antidepressants and I was headfirst into this rebound relationship with someone. I didn't have a good experience on antidepressants. They made me incredibly numb. So not only was I not feeling sad anymore, I was also not feeling happy anymore. They also made me suicidal. I tried to commit suicide twice in the space of a couple of months and it was just generally just a bad experience. So I took myself off the antidepressants and continued on with what I was doing. The relationship that I was in at this point, the rebound relationship, was actually with somebody who was a highly functioning cocaine addict. And at this point of my life, I was very much in a phase of being a people pleaser, could not be alone, pretty much would just mold myself into whoever that person needed me to be in order for us to have a successful relationship. And this is all subconscious, and I can only see it now in hindsight. I didn't think it at the time, but I was so scared of being alone. And especially during this time where I was just feeling so much emotional pain that I just accepted his drug use, even though it was something that I actually really was against when we first got together. And I suppose it's the same as anything, anything that you're around a lot, eventually it becomes the norm. And eventually after some time, I started doing coke with him and then I started taking MDMA and then I started going out partying and I started doing this and doing that. And at first it was fun and at first it really helped because I didn't have to feel all these terrible emotions that I was feeling. But then on the flip side, I was in a really quite toxic relationship with somebody who had a lot of money, who could spend a lot of money on drugs, whose solution to their own problems and emotional issues was getting high and getting drunk there was not one weekend where we didn't get high and drunk and I'm talking even when I was suicidal his response was let's go out and get wasted let's go out and get wasted so I didn't have any emotional support from the person that I was in a relationship with and I have to say that although I was only in a relationship with this person for about a year It was probably the most destructive and heartbreaking relationship that I have ever experienced in my life. I was so alone, even though I had a person right there with me. This person used to speak over me every time I opened my mouth. There was absolutely no emotional support, no emotional availability. Anytime I struggled, it was you need to be sectioned, you're not well, you're the problem, you're the issue. And I just was basically dying on the inside. That's the only way I can explain it. I felt invisible. I felt like this person, all they liked about me was how I looked. That was the only thing that they used to say to me that was ever positive was, oh my goodness, you're so good looking, you're so amazing, you're so beautiful, but never saw me as a person never never got to know who was on the inside and little by little I just became this absolute shell of a human being who stopped talking I became really unchatty I was so depressed I just felt 
like I was drowning and that there was just nothing and all I had was the drugs and I would search for connection every time I was high with the other people that we were meeting that were taking drugs because I just couldn't connect with my partner there was no connection whatsoever it was just I may as well have been just living with a shell of a person and that's what I was as well I was a complete shell of who I actually am I lost interest in anything that brought me joy and all I did was take drugs and get drunk and the only thing that would bring me joy was connecting with people on nights out who weren't my partner it was a really lonely and miserable and sad existence and this lasted for about a year and then after a year we broke up and when we broke up I moved in with a friend of mine he let me sleep on his couch And, you know, as generous and beautiful and amazing as that was, that this person just said, you can stay as long as you want. At the end of the day, I was sleeping on someone's sofa in their living room. And again, I just felt like, oh God, I can't be here. I'm such an imposition. It's just so difficult and awkward. Around this time, I started spending a lot of time with this guy who I'd met through Nights Out. And he was a crystal meth addict. Now, I didn't actually know the extent of his addiction because around me, he pretty much just partied. So I didn't really realize that he was someone who was smoking crystal meth every day. But he said to me, why don't you just move in with me? And at this point, I was obviously sleeping on someone's couch, which was just miserable. And he said, just move in with me. He's like, I've got this big house He said, you can have your own room, just move in with me. You don't have to pay rent and you can just stay until you get yourself back up on your feet. And so I just thought, oh, well, fuck it. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll just move in with him. I mean, I didn't even really know him, but at this point I didn't really have any options. So I moved in with him and to be honest, it wasn't dreadful. (laughs) It wasn't completely toxic. I'd already at this point in my life smoked crystal meth on or after nights out. So I tried it before, he wasn't the person that introduced it to me. And we used to get high on weekends, but during the week we actually didn't take drugs at all. And really strangely, when I think back to this period of my life, I do actually see this person as the person that I really needed at that moment, because he was genuinely very caring and giving towards me. And he would always, make sure that there was food in the fridge and he would cook for me and he would take care of me. And I remember I was so anxious from my previous relationship that I had chewed the skin off all the ends of my fingers, right? I had raw skin on the ends of every single finger because I had ripped all the skin off because I was just so stressed and anxious all the time. And I have this memory of this guy that I moved in with where we genuinely were sitting there watching TV one night And he came over to me and he took all the plasters off my fingers and he used this little, I think it was one of those machines that you use that sand the bottom of your feet. And he ran it over my fingertips and smoothed all my fingers out and he rubbed all this cream into them. And he just took care of me for a few months. And yes, I know, we were taking drugs on weekends together. He never ever encouraged me to take drugs And also, I actually had no idea that he was smoking meth every day. I honestly just didn't know. He'd kept that very separate from me. So 
I had this person who was looking after me, which was really what I needed. And it did feel like quite a safe space, even though we were taking drugs quite a lot. But it was a very different dynamic to the previous dynamic that I had had where I couldn't even speak, where I just felt invisible. I suddenly had this person who was the opposite, who was driving me to work every day and making sure I was safe and making sure I had food and making sure, are you okay? Are you okay? What can I do for you? How can I help you? So I lived with this guy for a few months And then after a few months, I had enough money to move out and I went and started looking at apartments and life was actually feeling like, you know what? I actually feel quite good now. I feel in a much better headspace. I feel much more valued. I don't, I definitely did not feel like I had a a toxic relationship with drugs because I wasn't abusing them in the way that I had been when I'd been with the previous partner. And so life kind of felt as though, yeah, things are on the up. Things are getting better. I feel like maybe I've got a handle on this. Maybe I don't have anything to worry about. So I moved out into my own place. And then that's when things started to get rocky. Things with this guy started to get really messy. I could tell that we weren't getting on how we had been before. I could tell that he was withdrawing from me. And I knew And it's just, you just know, sometimes you just know, I knew that he had started seeing someone else and I would ask him and he would deny it and I would show him proof and he would deny it and he would call me crazy. And it went on and on and on like this for quite a while. And it was quite then toxic once I moved out. He started seeing someone behind my back, but he would always lie about it. And then I felt like I was crazy and I'd show him the evidence and he would tell me I had demons in my head and it just went on and on and on and on. And it just was a very, very unhealthy, toxic dynamic. And once again, I started to feel like, oh my God, I can't handle this. I'm by myself. What am I doing? And the cycle started again. Around this time, shortly after I moved into my own place, I also lost my job. And then I just went on a mission of self-sabotage. I was so drunk the evening after that I had gotten fired that I remember walking up the street and I just went up to this random person and said, where can I get some meth from? And he sold me some. And then I ended up taking heroin with this person. I was just on a complete and utter mission of self-destruction where I just don't give a shit anymore. This person that took care of me is suddenly cheating on me and then I've lost my job and like, oh my God, I can't deal with it. How much more can I take? You know those moments where you just feel like I can't take anymore. And I just went on this mission of just, I want to just destroy myself. I just want to die. I don't care if I'm alive or not. I'll just take any drugs that come my way and I just don't care. So that went on for a little bit of time. And then eventually things got into a bit more of a rhythm. I cut that guy out of my life. But by this point, I had other people in my life through all of my interactions with drugs and going out and buying drugs and all these things. I knew now quite a network of people who took drugs on a regular basis. And I started to become friends with quite a lot of people who were drug dealers or who had actually been taking drugs for years and years on a daily basis and I was very naive to it right because at this point I wasn't taking anything on a regular basis in terms of daily but I was pretty much using drugs every single weekend and I was in a very bad headspace and I had a friend in inverted commas who I'd used to buy coke off and he said oh my god I'm getting evicted from my apartment and I don't know what to do and obviously at this point I had my own apartment and I remember 
having this moment where I was sitting in my apartment and there was this push pull. And I, I remember it so specifically. I remember sitting there and I remember thinking, you have two options right now. You are at a fork in the road. What are you going to do? Do not let him move in. If you let him move in, you're making the decision that you're going down that path. And that path, Charlotte, does not look great. Or you can do the harder thing and not let him move in and be alone and build your life back up and you'll be okay. But I chose the path of letting him move in. Now, this guy was a crack cocaine addict and a weed addict and he was smoking every day and he hated crystal meth, but he was very pro crack cocaine. And I started smoking crack cocaine every single day with him when he moved in. And that was sort of the beginning of me being a daily drug user. So I started using crack cocaine with him. I actually really hated it. And at one point I remember I had a really bad turn in terms of feeling incredibly anxious And I just remember saying to him, I never want to touch this again. I feel so shit. Why won't you let me smoke crystal meth? Like, fuck this. I don't want the crack. Why? Why will you only let me smoke crack? And from that day on, I never touched crack again. It was just a very intense drug. And for me, it just used to give me incredible anxiety. But through him, I met several people who were crystal meth smokers, daily users, ice it's called in Australia. And through these people, I started smoking every day. I started hanging out with them. I started smoking with them all the time. It just kind of became a part of my life. And I became a part of that world. And I met dealers and I met more addicts. And it was just, it was just around me and it was a part of my life. And this just went on for months and months and months. And these months were full of toxic relationships, ups and downs. There were some highs. I started my own business, which was actually really quite successful. I started journaling again, which is wild. I hadn't journaled in about five years and suddenly I just really wanted to write all the time. And I think sometimes we don't realize that when we're going through things and when we're at rock bottom, even though this wasn't my rock bottom yet, but when we're at rock bottom, Sometimes we don't actually give ourselves enough credit for knowing what to do. And in that moment, I knew, even though I didn't realize I knew, I knew I needed to journal. And I started journaling really regularly. I started writing poetry. I started being very creative. I even started painting. I started dancing. There were so many good things that happened through this that needed to happen. And they were actually key things that helped me to get clean in the end. So I was living in my own apartment. I was going through the motions. You know, I was keeping my head above water. Things were okay. They weren't great. I was essentially just living as a functioning addict at this point. And then I moved out of my apartment. And when I moved out of my apartment, I started bouncing around. Airbnb, Airbnb, Airbnb. With all my belongings, I was in a relationship with someone and he didn't want to actually get an apartment together. So we just kept moving and moving and moving. And then I moved back in with my ex who was a drug dealer and he living with him was crazy because we were living in this apartment where there was just so many drugs and people just coming in and out and there were guns and there was violence. There was just all this stuff going on that was just too much. And I lost my business pretty much. I think I had a few clients remaining. I I started a cleaning company. I lost all the people that were working for me because I basically couldn't afford to pay them because I couldn't keep up with what was going on. And eventually I just said, enough 
is enough. Really enough is enough. I am so done. And even though I was living in a drug addict's heaven at this point, I'm living with a drug dealer who's giving me free drugs. I don't have to pay rent. I don't have to do anything. I just get to exist if I want to. And I said, no, this is, I don't want this life. This life is actually fucking shit. So I moved in with my friend who was not a drug addict. And he said, you can stay here. And he gave me his garage and he just let me take it over and make it my own and live there. And I can't remember how long I lived there for. It was probably about six months. But I also, at this point, I would say I wasn't ready to get clean. I was ready to move away, but I wasn't 100% ready to get clean. And the loneliness and the disconnection was so crippling because even though I was only connecting with other addicts, it felt as though I did have some sense of belonging because I was around other people like me. Whereas when I moved in with this friend, I suddenly no longer had this feeling of belonging, even if it was, you know, a belonging to the drug world, which is not exactly that fulfilling. It, it still was something that was then taken away from me. So during this time, I developed a pretty bad gambling addiction. And this kind of came about because I was alone and I was awake very late at night because I was on crystal meth. And so I used to sit there and think, well, what can I do? I'm by myself. I'm out of the city. I'm away from everyone that I know. Everyone's so far away. And what can I do? Oh, I know the pubs are open until 5am in Australia and there's slot machines. I can just go and I can just play and it will just be fine. And slowly, 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 I ended up becoming a gambling addict And it got worse because then I moved in with another friend and once I moved out of there, I had nowhere to go and I ended up homeless in my car. And again, I thought, well, where the hell can I go? It's not that safe for me to be living in my car. I'm a girl by myself. Where can I go? And I ended up taking myself to the casino because I thought the casino in Melbourne, if anyone hasn't been there, it spans pretty much an entire city block it's very glitzy, it's very glamorous, it's full of security, it's open 24 hours a day, there's food, there's lights, there's drink, there's gambling, there's everything. And so that is where I took myself because I thought I can park my car for free in the car park and I can wander around and I can chat to people and I can just make sure that I'm okay and then during the day I can leave. And it sounds crazy but the casino basically became my home for quite an extended period of time because I genuinely didn't have anywhere to go I was homeless and the only place I had was my car and I used to have these massive wins I remember once gambling about $50 and I won 4,000 and I put all the money back into the casino so According to the casino, I'd spent $4,000. In reality, I'd spent 50. And this kept happening over and over and over again. And eventually I ended up with a platinum membership to the casino, which is crazy. I was homeless. I had nowhere to go. But I had a platinum membership to the casino where I got valet parking, free food, free drink. I had my own concierge. And I used to get gifted three nights free at this five-star hotel. It was actually insane. And when I think about it, I think, was this a weird blessing? I mean, I kind of see it as a blessing because I was homeless, yet I was safe in a really weird roundabout way. It's not the way that you would necessarily want someone to keep safe in that situation, but I was safe and I did have somewhere to go and 
in that moment, it was perfect (laughs) for what I needed, even though it was completely crazy. So that's where I was at. That was kind of me almost at rock bottom. And you can see how that just happened so easily that I went from this person who was just living her life. She had a full-time job. She was living with her fiance. They had a cute little house with some cats and just going through the motions, getting drunk every weekend, not really thinking about much, not particularly happy, didn't feel particularly loved, didn't feel particularly okay. And then I went from that because of the breakup, because of my choices with my relationships, because of my own self-worth. And when I say self-worth, I mean my lack of self-worth, my lack of self-confidence, my inability to process and deal with my negative emotions. I went from that girl to someone who was homeless and was a gambling and crystal meth addict. What the actual fuck? So I still wouldn't say that the casino was the rock bottom. I was almost at rock bottom, but not quite. So I mentioned before that there had been a period of time before I moved in with my friend where I was bouncing around from Airbnb to Airbnb. And the reason that this situation had ended is because I was in a relationship with someone and things were going pretty bad in that relationship. They were becoming more and more and more toxic. And our relationship ended because... We ended up getting into a fight with each other one night. I was screaming at him. He was screaming at me. He threw me down onto the ground and just came over to me and just started kicking me. And the part of this story that actually really, really devastated me more than anything was that whilst this was happening, there was someone else there who was a man who I considered to be a really good friend of mine and he just stood there and he just watched my partner kick the shit out of me whilst I was on the floor and I have never in my life ever felt as lonely and worthless as I did in that moment it actually still activates me a bit when I think about it because I just felt so abandoned by this person that I loved and he just watched and didn't do anything. But really when I think about it, that is such an accurate reflection of how little I cared about myself and how much I was abandoning myself because what person allows themselves in that situation if they love themselves? So we broke up and that partner ended up in prison through something else that was unrelated. And he was gone about six months, I think. And so it was during those six months that I ended up becoming a gambling addict and I was at the casino and I was doing all these things and I was homeless and I was living in my car. And when he got out of prison, six months later, he moved into a house, which was essentially a crack den. And I contacted him and I said, you fucking owe me. (laughs) And that is so not something that I would ever really say to someone. I don't think I've ever said to someone, you owe me. But I remember saying to him, I do not have anywhere to go. 
I'm living in my car. My life is so shit and I need somewhere to live because I know I can't fix my life if I'm fucking living in my car. I know I can't. I have nowhere to go and I have no money and I don't know what to do and you fucking owe me. So let me stay here. And he did. And again, this was a really weird situation and I would never, ever, ever advise anyone to move in with an ex who had physically assaulted them. This man was very emotionally and psychologically and occasionally physically abusive towards me. And I would never say, oh yeah, you know, it was great. It wasn't great. But again, strangely, it was exactly what I needed. So I moved into this house with this ex and there was someone else who lived there too who owned the house. And really weirdly in this house, these people, all they do is get high and sit around and get high and sit around. It really was a crack den. But what was weird was that it was also a home. So these people that had this life that was shooting up and taking drugs all the time and that was all they ever did they were also making breakfast for each other every morning fucking weird right making dinner every evening and sitting together to eat I hadn't done that in fucking years I can't even tell you the the last time that I had done that and I was suddenly in this weird situation where I thought This is fucking strange because I have been running in survival mode for the last six months. I've been bouncing around from house to house. I've been living in my fucking car. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. I've lost my job. I've lost my money. I've lost everything. And now I'm living in this fucking crack den. But there's people every morning bringing me breakfast in bed. (laughs) It was a really fucking very strange and weird weird scenario and that was my rock bottom living in the weird crackdown which was actually a very strange highly dysfunctional family that kind of cared about each other it was very strange that was my rock bottom and I actually really didn't see a way out of this house because I wasn't working I was miserable I was living with someone who really, really wanted a relationship with me and I did not want a relationship with him. So every time I would reject him and his advances, he would start an argument with me and it would escalate and he would kick me out and then I'd go back and it was just very unsettling again and unstable and I just didn't know. I used to think, how the fuck am I going to get out of here? How am I ever going to turn this around? Because I think what people don't realize is that when you do not have any stability or any safety, keyword safety in your life, when you do not have a place that you can go home to every night and say, that's my space, where you can shut the door and say, I'm safe, where you can have a shower and eat and do all of these things every day, when you do not have your basic needs met, how the fuck are you ever going to get out and start earning money and get a job and go to work and integrate yourself back into society? Because at this point, 
it's not even about the drugs. It's really not. The drugs are kind of irrelevant at this point. At this point, your basic needs are not even being met. You, yes, okay, I was sitting and having meals with these people every day, which was a weird blessing, but there was no safety, there was no guarantee. And if I did anything to piss that guy off, he would pull it out from me in a second. So it was a, a weird environment where I felt as though I was walking on eggshells. I was trying not to piss him off because I needed to stay there. But I knew he'd always let me stay there. But then it was just this constant cycle of push-pull, push-pull all the time. So unstable, so unsettling. And I'm thinking the last thing on my mind is, yeah, I'll go out and get a job so that I can save some money and get the fuck out of here. It's so difficult when you're in that situation. And I think that that's what people don't understand is that for a lot of addicts, it's not as simple as just go and get a job. It's really not. It's really not. There's so many other random factors that come into play. And so I felt very stuck at this point. And I really, really didn't see a way out of it. And that is the end of part one of how I became a drug addict. Because in part two, I am going to share with you how so many miracles came. Things that I could never have imagined in my wildest dreams. Things that happened that genuinely, genuinely saved my fucking life. Doors opened, the universe intervened, all this craziness happened and I got clean. And that is going to be part two. So you've heard part one. That's how I became an addict. Crazy story. Just goes to show how easy it is and how it can happen to absolutely anyone. Through little tiny decisions that you make day to day because of your own mental health, your loneliness, your inability to feel your emotions, all of these little things that play a part. But part two is the story of how I came back from it all. And I'm going to be absolutely buzzing and so excited to share that with you that's going to be next week I'm going to fill you in and I'm going to tell you everything that happened and it's not just a case of I just went to rehab it was genuinely an alignment of my mind body and soul it was the timing it was the universe it was God it was everything coming together in this beautiful synchronistic way and my life was saved and I will be forever grateful for the way that this happened. And it was absolutely miraculous. And I can't wait to share it with you. So please feel free to reach out to me on social media. I'm on Instagram at I am Charlotte Jackson. If you enjoyed that episode, please leave a review. It really, really helps. And leave a rating, share it with your friends, share it with anyone that you think it might help. And I cannot wait to come back next week and tell you the story of how I came back, brought myself back to life, got my life back, came back out of the pit and ended up exactly where I am right now recording this podcast episode for you. And I really can't wait to come back and share everything with you next week. But until then, it's bye from me and thank you so much for listening to another episode of Game Changer. <laughs>